Not all uses of the internet are equal. For some users, privacy is paramount. For others, it's security. The internet as it exists may afford sufficient protections for those who want to tweet or email anonymously, but for the owners of critical infrastructure, security trumps privacy. For these users, a separate domain that would allow the ability to detect changes in data or hardware and to determine who made the changes may be the answer. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and to address the idea of an alternate internet, I'm joined by Deputy Assistant Director of the FBI's Cyber Division, Steve Chabinski. How are you doing today, Eric? Fine. Welcome, Steve. I appreciate you taking time to talk. What is an alternate internet and how would it work? You know, that's a good question. And I I think that when we discuss this, I would prefer to talk about alternatives. I don't think there's really an alternate internet that is just waiting to be designed. What we're really trying to do is foster a dialogue about alternative architectures. Right now, I think it's fair to say that notions of risk management and security are playing second seat to notions of first to market. We have a lot of examples where software and hardware are hitting the market with significant security concerns that are acceptable to some users and for some uses, but really entirely unacceptable for other uses and users like in the critical infrastructure or in a company's trade secrets or the government's classified secrets. So when we talk about alternative models, what we're really trying to discuss is whether or not protocol design is taking into account the full risk spectrum. And the full risk spectrum includes threat mitigation. And not to put too fine a point on it, I don't know of any security model, meaning in those instances where security is paramount, I don't know of any security model that can work without being able to determine who the bad guy is. Right now, what we're seeing is that the predominance of security in the internet or in technology security, to to even broaden the concept more, focuses on vulnerability mitigation. Vulnerability mitigation is important. You have to make sure that your systems are as clean as possible, that software is patched. You have to look at the end-to-end protocols for allowing different people on your, on your networks to having identity management privileges, that's all very important. The discussion that really needs to take place, not just in the United States, but globally, is how much are we going to consider issues of assurance and attribution in protocol design in line with the overall communication architecture so that if someone does try to break into a system, it's noticeable that occurred and it's possible to determine who did it, and in that manner, to be able to have threat deterrence. I'm trying to visualize this in a way, because you're talking about different alternatives, you're talking about architecting a network of some sort. Would this be something that would be on top of the existing internet, or would this be something entirely new? And how do, do organizations go about doing that? Well, I don't think it could be entirely new, and I don't think that that would be a helpful model. Uh, Ultimately, the most successful models and how you'd go about doing it are going to respect innovation and competition and ensure trust and security at the same time. So you want interoperability. You want to come up with standards that can be easily deployed by the greatest number of users who have that demand. One of the um, notions is that really this challenge is not meant certainly for the FBI. It's actually, I, I don't know that it's meant for the government at large, although I'm, I'm sure research and development money would be important. But ultimately, it's the technologists and the economists, not dissimilar from the way the internet grew originally. There were just different success measures 
when the internet was originally conceived, when the original planners of the internet were looking at network design and protocols and architectures, they were doing their best to ensure that systems of different manufacturers with different, they weren't even operating systems actually back then, but the, the modeling that was being used to operate those different systems, they were all proprietary, that these different networks could actually speak with each other. So this notion of interoperability was paramount. Over time, there were other issues that became predominant in the research and development area and the setting of protocols, with interoperability always remaining paramount, but then bandwidth and speed becoming similarly paramount. And in the areas of security, what tended to be the central themes were confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Those were the common themes of security. But what really had not been a common driving force in security were the notions of assurance or trust and attribution. So what we're left with today are a number of increasing victims, some in very prominent businesses that are well-resourced. So this is not just a problem for the little guy. It's happening for very well-resourced companies and, and agencies where they don't even know that their software or hardware has been modified. So this notion of assurance really means that you could have trust in your software, your hardware, your data. That's not been a driving force in security. So a lot of software and hardware that's manufactured that goes through the paces to ensure that it does what it's supposed to do but it doesn't go through the paces to ensure that it doesn't do that which it is not supposed to do and that those events would be observable, what the anomalous activity would be. So that's the assurance issue and attribution, of course, being that if you know something has been intentionally uh, interfered with, changed, that you'd be able to get back to ground on who did it. And what our experience has been and why we want this dialogue to be fostered is that we're recognizing that vulnerability mitigation has not been an effective strategy for a lot of highly secure or, or those systems that need to be highly secure users and, and, and uses. And so we ask ourselves, why not? And it invariably comes to the fact that in this environment, the bad guys haven't consistently been seeing the penalties that are driven by attribution. A way to look at it in the physical world is with intercontinental ballistic missiles. I mean, if you would think of a missile striking a major city anywhere in the world, think about how likely or unlikely these scenarios would play out if governments couldn't tell the trajectory of a missile, right, where, where it just lands and you have no idea where it came from. It essentially gives your adversaries these free bites at the apple, this, this ability to attack and the consequences are minimal. In response to that threat, all you do is vulnerability mitigation, try to make sure that the missile doesn't get through or try to create some force field. You're essentially telling the adversary, you could try all day, all night, you could try to escalate your measures so that they outpace our defenses. At the end of the day, that typically works where it's easier to create an offense than a defense. And as many times as you try, the worst case scenario is that you're just not successful. The worst case scenario is not that you'll be caught and that there'll be some justice meted out. It seems to most people obvious that a world in which threat actors are not deterred has enormous consequences to our stability. I think the nuance here is that it's not the same for all uses and all users of the internet. The risk model, the cost-benefit analysis that's being done today, where you have early adoption of new technologies, actually is working for some uses and some users of the internet, right? So it's not as though the internet as it exists now isn't following market-driven principles 
for certain uses and users. The real problem is that efficiency and effectiveness of today's networked environments has become so enticing to other areas that the internet was never envisioned to support these high secure models that we're seeing on those edges where this is an unacceptable result for certain businesses and certain agencies. You know, when you say, what would it look like? I'm tempted to say, I don't know, but there are technologists and economists that I believe if that were the goal that they were after, this notion of highly secure uh, models and architectures that allowed for assurance and attribution, if success were measured by those types of results, that invention and innovation would answer those questions. Because much as it did with today's internet, where, where you're driving towards makes a difference. There was a time only 40 years ago, right, that people could never envision how wildly successful the internet is. There were a lot of naysayers back in those days that it would be too expensive, wouldn't work. But when people put their minds to it, and understood what success looked like, what the goals were, what the standards were that they were seeking to build towards, things got done. And, and I think that this, this notion, again, that even models of high security that have assurance and attribution are not inconsistent with notions of innovation and competition and interoperability. I mean, one can have free and open standards for assurance and attribution where everyone drives towards that goal for certain users. This is not only possible, but perhaps becoming more likely in today's environment of cloud computing, where society is growing to rely less on creating their own solutions and more on adopting frameworks that are being paid for through a commons of users. So the economic model of cloud computing really could support this notion of driving alternative architectures. Do you see any type of organization or groups of business and government getting together to do what you're suggesting here? I would hope that that's what will happen. I, I haven't seen a drive towards that yet, and I think only because um, it hasn't been placed at the forefront of cybersecurity efforts. To date, all of the cybersecurity efforts really have been focusing on vulnerability mitigation. If the notion of threat mitigation and threat deterrence and assurance and attribution were put on the international agenda of security, most certainly it would have to involve the private sector and government agencies. In fact, it might not have to involve government agencies. I give a lot of faith and confidence that there are market-driven solutions here, that the market actually, for certain users and, and uses, wants this, right? They, they don't know where to go. It, it hasn't been available to them. I think that the market could drive this, but the problem is, is that the solutions in this space require, because of the interoperability issues, because you have appliances and networks um, and standards and operating systems that have to talk with each other, it's a complicated business to think about alternatives, right, to, to start thinking that way. In order to get this done, it really will require a consortium. Why is the FBI interested in this, and do you see a role for the FBI in this consortium? The FBI's interest is to let the population know what it's seeing. People rely on the FBI and other government agencies for their security. That's appropriate, but what's also appropriate is for the FBI to let the public know when it's falling behind on a problem, right? So what we're seeing in the FBI is an increasing growth of cyber victims, we're seeing at the same time an increased reliance on technology-enabled products all the way down to biomedical devices that allow for remote diagnostics. And we're seeing that the FBI and other law enforcement agencies 
are what we would call becoming less effective and there's this notion that it's getting darker and darker out there, that our visibility into what the threat actors um, are and our ability to get back to them, especially in those areas where financial motivation is lacking, that it's getting harder in this space. And I don't think that surprises most people when it's told, but I think that that needs to be told. I think that there's that level of transparency. It would be, I think, perhaps more routine for agencies not to show or or discuss where things are getting more difficult, but I, I don't think that that's in the public's interest. The FBI's equity here is that we've been given this enormous um, mission and trust by the public and through um, Congress and the president, through the establishment of laws that we're supposed to execute. A number of those laws and the criminal code are being violated daily by people who are misusing the cyber environment and our ability to prevent and respond to those types of crimes are becoming increasingly more difficult and that trend appears to be continuing. The public, I think, is at a crossroads where we really have to start discussing in a very nuanced way where this type of security matters and where it doesn't and where we want government capabilities to be enhanced and where we don't. But also, I I would say that it's not just about enhancing government capabilities because what it ultimately is about is really deterrence. And if you have proper deterrence, if the bad guys know that you could catch them, that stops most of them. And so it's not about the government having more capability in actuality if it doesn't have to use it because it cuts down a lot of the crime problem. But that capability has to at least exist so that the bad guys don't continue to act as though this is just the heyday of crime and espionage. And of course, there are people who are rightfully discussing that the internet and networked communications are not just the province of spying and crime, but also are the next battle space. That is becoming increasingly destabilizing. I've spoken with a lot of people. A lot of people share this concern, but there's always going to be a group that looks at this as fear-mongering that will say, if it's as bad as you're saying, how come it hasn't happened yet? I would like to have the luxury of being able to await for things to get that bad before I start talking about what the issues are that we're facing. But we don't have that luxury, and we shouldn't. Our our job in the FBI, and as um, uh, appropriately so, is to let people know and to prevent issues. I'll never forget the 9-11 Commission report very strongly stated that one of the failures on September 11th was the government's failure of imagination. And when I read the papers every day and I see what's happening, it doesn't even take imagination for me to recognize what the art of the possible is and also to recognize that criminal groups of modest sophistication are having enormous impact. When you see that, Often enough, and you see our vulnerabilities expanding by continued rapid adoption of less than secure platforms, it's time to speak out. And that's what we're doing. Well, thanks, Steve. I thank you very much. I've been speaking with the FBI Cyber Division Deputy Assistant Director Steve Chabinski. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.